Drought is as drought does. If we wanted Texas weather, I think we would have moved to Texas. I looked back to the rain totals for 2012, you know, back when our well failed and we could only pump out 75 gallons, very slowly at a time, to fill portable water totes in order to water the livestock. Well, this July and August, we are behind those totals for 2012 already. Add the heat to that, and no wonder the ground is dusty, the grass brown, and the vegetable garden in a coma. Well, except for the zucchini. I still find some zucchini submarines lurking underneath the plants. The chickens get these huge monsters as treats, and they just love them. They'll clean the seeds out in the pulp, leaving a pecked-out, lightweight husk, just a mere shadow of its former self. The tomatoes in containers do not like the extended periods of excessive heat and dry weather. It's actually hard to keep the containers watered because the sun also bakes them. I've been watering the garden every three days, setting the drip irrigation on for six to seven hours at a time. When I turn the water on, I have to walk around the garden and listen. Sure enough, last time I turned it on, there were five leaks. The sound of water spraying makes it easy for the leaks to be found. Why so many leaks overnight? Varmints. Rabbits and field rats chew into the drip hose for water, and I can't blame them, but still... They did all that gnawing, and there was no water for them to get to because the system had been turned off. Good thing I have splices. Blind Hog helped by turning the water controller valves off and on for me as I cut out the gnawed drip tape section, screwed in a splice. Hopefully they'll leave the tape alone, the varmints, that is. I suppose we're going to have to hang and attach chicken wire around the bottom of the garden fence to keep the rabbits out. Nothing will work to keep field rats out. Good luck with that. There might be drought relief on the way. National Weather Service is saying we might get a couple inches or more, but they do that. I get all excited and then nothing happens. However, their confidence level seems to be a bit higher, so fingers crossed. The fields definitely need this crucial rain for the next 8 to 10 weeks, now till the killing frosts, for the pastures to grow enough forage for the winter. Radar is showing a front approaching us, and we've already received the required severe thunderstorm warnings for our county via the weather alert radio. Have to say, it is looking a bit dark to the west. The Dexter cattle are fine. Pie, though, has yet to calve. She is so big and round, I guess I'm just going to have to draw some blood on her and send it off to see if she is even pregnant. 
The three calves are growing super good and run around like warthogs, tails held high in the air. The adults also look in pretty good condition, considering the dry weather and excessive heat, so no complaints there. We put the goads in the woods for a week, down along the driveway and into the south field. They mowed that down pretty quick. We took some goat kids to the market last weekend, pulled out all the weathers and weighed them, me on a bathroom scale holding a wiggly kid, and put the smaller ones back in the herd. Twelve went to market and fourteen more to go. Fall prices are generally better than summer prices, and the typical summer price slump really didn't occur this year. Half the kids we took brought $3 a pound, which is really good for this time of year. We took the goats to the auction house closest to us, even though they charged the highest commission fee. The savings in gasoline alone covers the difference in the fees. Also, how much is our own time worth? Makes sense to go to the auction that's only 25 minutes away versus the one that takes almost three hours to drive to. And I'm happy enough with the local place. We'll probably take eight more kids next month and then the last group either in October or November, depending upon their weight. 40 to 59 pounds is the sweet spot and if I can get them as close to 60 pounds without going over, all the better over 60 pounds, and the price drops. There are over a dozen cheeses aging away. Three Swiss rounds have completed their initial chilling and are now at room temperature in the back room, growing their eyes for a few weeks. I had to add a special culture to the milk for these cheeses so that their eyes would grow. Proprionic Shermani. I know that they're indeed growing their eyes as the cheeses have popped their wax casing so they can expand. I am most pleased. I made a couple pepper cheese tomes yesterday. A tome is a no-frill, simple cheese with basic culture and no fancy pressing. You make the curd, cut, wait for the pH to drop, press a little while, let the pH drop a bit more, and then float the cheese in brine, three hours per pound. Dry, wax, and age, and voila, a cheese. I added jalapenos to both, but in one I also tossed in a spoonful of chipotle powder for added depth. We'll see which one tastes better. The dairy goats were milked for the last time yesterday. No more milking until February or March of next year. Over the past week, I'd been cutting back on the amount of milk I take, and their udders have been adjusting. Yesterday, I took just one-fourth of their earlier output, so a few days of udder discomfort, pun intended, will be in store for them as their milk production stops. Then I'll let the bucks in and get them bred for February kids. I may let all the boys in. One is the dairy buck and the other two are the meat savanna bucks. I wouldn't mind a few dairy kids and if the meaty boys breed a dairy girl or two, no problem there either. Four does and three bucks. It will be a goat orgy and they will all be happy.
I had earlier put the meaty boys, Fred and George, in with the commercial herd for a few months back in June. Therefore, there is the odd chance that we could have a few goat kids born in December from the yearling goats who didn't have kids this spring. Otherwise, the goaty girls won't be seeing the bucks until late November into December. Already, there is much pacing of the fences, the putting on of lipstick and hoof polish, tail wagging and vocalizations, loud vocalizations. And the bucks, they are totally dressed out in their stinky finery. Out where the goats have been pacing along the fence is a gate, and within that gate post is something I have never seen in my life, a nest of bumblebees. If the goats bump the gate, which is half open, it vibrates back to the fence post and a few bumbles will fly out and some goats will get chased. The winter squash in the garden has been a big attraction for the bumblebees and I even saw some bumbles working the sunflower heads way up high. That winter squash, it just keeps taking over the garden. I think we've got 12 goodly-sized squash already, about basketball size, and lots more little ones. A few have even grown up on the big arch I checked, and I'm going to have to make a net or some sling to hold them up as they mature. I also checked on the watermelons that we had out there because I thought one was getting ripe. Sure enough, it was yellow on the field spot, and the smaller melon still has a white field spot, which is where the watermelon makes contact with the ground. Thumping a melon doesn't tell me anything. The two melons sound the same. I'll know for sure when I cut into it, probably tomorrow. Fun fact, if you put your watermelon out on the counter, it'll continue to mature and sweeten. Put it in the fridge, and all sugar conversion will stop. So, by all means, put your cut pieces in the fridge. Just don't put your whole melon in there for keeping. Our food dehydrator died. The power head must have blown a fuse or element, and these cannot be repaired or replaced. I had to order a new head blower unit. This time of year, it gets heavy use making squash chips. Summer squash slices with Bragg's liquid aminos brushed on top. Put them in the dehydrator and dry them out like potato chips. However, it can take 24 hours or more to dry them out completely till they're crisp. The dehydrator power head will last about 7-8 years before it'll conk out on me. This is my second replacement, third power head unit total. Maybe it's just me. Other people might get longer use from theirs, but it's cheaper for me just to replace the power head than to try a totally different model or style. Jars of green beans are filling the pantry. I've got a dozen pints so far and more to go. Blind Hog even snapped a mess of beans for me the other day. I was busy making cheese and he was pressed into service. Wax beans have begun to blossom. These are planted in the containers with the tomatoes. I look forward to canning three bean salad and having that ready for instant access from the pantry.
My shoulders are still sore from raking out the goat barns. It's hard to get comfortable at night being a side sleeper. Both sides are equally sore, so I just flip and flop. I have trouble falling asleep, but Blind Hog has the opposite problem. He wakes up in the early morning between 3 and 5. That's when he tries to solve all the world's problems, imagine crazy mechanical issues, or whatever else his brain is working on. He cut down another dead tree. Turns out that long-dead black walnut burns fairly well. And a bonus, much of the bark has already fallen off. He brought up another tree and added it to the winter's pile. I have not yet told him the winter forecast, as in cold and really wintry. Not like the so-so winters we've been getting lately with a cold snap here and there. I'll need to look into that a little bit more. Hey folks, Blind Hog here. Thank you for telling your friends about the podcast. Aiken and I appreciate your support. Don't forget to go to www.blindhogandacorn.com to see pictures for this week's episode. I'll be back again soon when Acorn says there is enough wood stacked up. Well, with the exceptionally dry weather and high heat, Blind Hog and I decided to sort through boxes and boxes of books. Books that have not been unpacked in years since our move. Needless to say, it was a mess. The books are now too old to be donated to the library, as they are mostly art and medical textbooks. We thought about donating them to a thrift store, but since they had the essence of the black mold about them, and frankly, I just didn't want to go through the process of sanitizing them. However, I did sanitize Badger's old children's books. Blind Hog helped spread them all out in the sun, and we misted them with bleachy water, Lysol spray, and another deodorizer, flipping them over back and forth. After two days of this treatment, they're actually quite acceptable. Badger has a friend who's a third grade teacher, and she donated half of these books for her friend's classroom. We'll box up the others that Badger wants to keep. There should only be a couple banker boxes, I believe. We made a special trip to the big city so we could go to the recycling center. We filled the trunk and back seat of the Hyundai with books, magazines, and broken down cardboard. I'm not saying that we didn't enjoy the excuse to ride in the car with the air conditioner for a few hours. It was nice, and we got that much more junk off the farm. Speaking of junk, fingers crossed. We signed up for a new private trash service. It will be our fifth one to try. They were supposed to pick up on Monday and didn't. Daily phone calls back and forth with them, They'd be saying that they'd be out the next day, and finally, on Friday morning, they came out. Not the best start, but they do sound earnest on the phone, so maybe it was just bad luck. Anyway, they'll take five contractor bags a week, and more if we want to pay extra. I think five a week is good to begin with. We don't want to scare them off. In addition to the books, we also brought out some of Badger's old toys, 
including a big plastic tote full of Beanie Babies. <laughs> we put the Beanie Babies in pillowcases and tied them shut for washing and drying as I was afraid of loose pellets, and rightly so. We discovered later that mice had chewed into a couple of them, and even with our best efforts, we still had pellets in the washer tub. Washed and dried, Badger's not sure what she'll do with all her beanie babies. I suggested I make a quilt a la Cruella de Vil. All the animals depelleted and stitched together, but she would have none of that. <laughs> ah, well, at least they're all out of the old house. I think there's going to be about five banker boxes of these. Lordy. We wore heavy gloves while toting and sorting through all the boxes, and with good reason. We actually found some live brown recluse spiders. Now, I'm good with most spiders and crawlies, but something that has the potential to put me in the hospital at the worst, causing modest tissue necrosis at the least, is not something I can just say, Oh, let's let it go along its merry way. Nope. Kill them. Kill them all. Brown recluse spiders make a web. A haphazard, messy thing, but it's more to keep things out of their nest than to trap something inside it, and the web will generally give away the spider's location. With a leg span that is easily quarter-sized, they are fast, agile lurkers. Fun facts. Brown recluse spiders have six eyes, not eight. The older the spider, the darker the violin marking on its back. There are six subspecies of brown recluse, and with the Ozarks, of course, being smack in the middle of the largest area. Like bees, the female spider only needs to mate once, and can produce over 150 spiderlings over the course of her lifetime, which is two or three years. One brown recluse hiding in that box of stuff you're moving can easily infest your closet. But Acorn, what do they eat? Good question. They really like dead insects, but will go after live ones. Bug spray only works on them if they are dampened with it. If you want to know if you've got any, it's recommended that you set out sticky traps in low traffic areas and check on them to see what was caught. March through October is their peak season. Another fun fact, the more you know. They can go five months without eating. One more fact. Only about 10% of people bitten have severe reactions. But these reactions are horrible. Volcano lesions that form at the site of the bite with gangrene, tissue death, lengthy medical treatments, and even hospitalization. There is no antivenin, just supportive treatment. Blind Hog carefully brought up the last of his smaller sculptures, and they look nice in the house. The bases need to be replaced, but overall, it's like having old friends show up for a visit. It's nice to see them. Now, how many years did it take for us to bring them out? 
The other week we were listening to our favorite podcast and Fender Guitar was a sponsor, advertising their online lesson program. Lessons? School? Well, that certainly perked up my ears. 50% off also sounded good. A few days later, I looked it up online, and the special deal made it very tempting. Blind Hog told me to go ahead and sign up. They offer lessons on guitar, bass, and ukulele. Why, I believe Badger left her ukulele here on the farm. So I signed on. What the hell? So tell me, Acorn, how's it going? Long story short, it really is a lot of fun. My skills are slowly progressing. I thought I was doing really well until I dug out Badger's metronome. Then my pride in my new skills was crushed. (laughs) Metronomes are most helpful, but they make me sound wretched. I didn't realize how my playing speed changed as I play faster when I know what I'm doing and then slow down during the tricky parts. The metronome keeps me honest and you have to pay attention to your beat. One thing I didn't count on was how my hands would react. Oh my! Curling fingers to make chords cleanly? Oi! I practice until my hands begin to cramp and then I'll stretch them out. I figure in a couple weeks maybe this will be resolved. Hopefully. Maybe. Another thing is Badger's ukulele is a soprano, the smallest, most portable size. I'm wondering if the larger concert ukulele might be the thing, with bigger spaces between the frets, might be kinder to my aged fingers as they try to bend to make the chords. Well, I'm going to get through more lessons first. Fun fact, they also make acoustic electric ukuleles, and some look like little baby Stratocaster and Telecaster guitars. Imagine sitting on the porch with the uke, plugging it into an amp, and jamming away for the goats and cows. Turn it up to 11. Several years I bought a mandolin, but the metal strings killed my fingers. After several half-hearted attempts to learn to play, it got put away. When I texted mi hermano about the ukulele lessons, he asked if they did mandolin too. I told him no, and asked if he had one. He did not, so I boxed up and sent him mine. I'll let him get the calluses on his fingertips. I hope he'll do better at it than me. In the meantime, I'm enjoying the challenge of the ukulele. Now, if I can just get that lava song out of my head. It's pretty darn dark now to the west. When the first drops of rain hit, the goats are going to come tearing out of the field and up to the barn. However, the first dark cloud roll has passed overhead and nary a drop of rain to fall. Now the wind is blowing and leaves flying everywhere. And here come the goats running down the alley outside the window in front of me. It looks like none of them melted from the first sprinkles of rain, although they sure act like they will. The cows, no doubt they're loving it. A nice cool shower. If the wind blows too hard, they will seek shelter, and it's there for them. 
Well, that'll finish things up for me this week. I better get off the computer with all the lightning flashing. Until next time, y'all take care. Bye-bye.